Okay, let's get started with a word of prayer, if we could, please. Our Father, we come before you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving you great praise and honor and adoration for who you are and what you're able to do, and Lord, just for the great privilege we have to come together as the body of Christ. Pray this morning that you would bless all that's done in this building, Lord, that we would uh, honor you and glorify you as you desire. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you would guide our minds this morning as we look at things that actually happened in history in comparison to what you through Daniel predicted would happen. So Lord, uh, we're thankful for these things. We're thankful for the great privilege we have to come together freely and to look at them. And Lord, may you be honored in all that we do. For in Christ's name we pray, amen. This is week number 32 in our study of the book of Daniel. And last time, last week, we had snow, so we weren't together. So it's been two weeks. And at that time, two weeks ago, we began to look at Daniel 8 and also at a historical figure known as uh, Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes, and you know, in Daniel chapter eight, we're told explicitly, I think, that the goat represents the nation of Greece, and that out of Greece will come four nations, and that out of one of those nations will come this uh, exceedingly great and strong king. Uh, that's called the, the horn in the book of Daniel. And I, I think those are things are explicit. You really can't argue with them, that the scripture just, that's what it plainly states. And so we looked at the activities of this Antiochus Epiphanes who took the throne of the Saludian Empire. That's one of the four empires that came after Alexander the Great's empire was divided into four. And he took the throne in 175 BC. So we're some 375 years after the book of Daniel was written. So when Daniel says many days into the future, this kind of lines up with that. I mean, I would think 375 years would qualify as many days into the future. And so Antiochus Epiphanes only reigned for 11 years from um, 375, 175 to 164 BC. And in his first four years, he invaded Egypt, the Ptolemy um, Empire, and wreaked havoc there until he was pushed back uh, and stopped by the Romans who came to the aid of the Ptolemy. And so on his way back in 171 BC, he invaded Jerusalem. And last time we looked at how he took all the worship utensils, he took all of the treasuries, the hidden treasuries of Israel. Um, he stopped temple worship because they didn't have uh, the showbread or any of the utensils they needed. Uh, didn't really defile the altar at that time other than he stole all these things, uh, even to the degree where the ornaments that were on the walls of the temple that were golden, he pulled them off and took those with him. And he took all of this stuff back to Babylon, where his palace was. 
And so he raided them thoroughly in 171 BC, stopped their worship, they couldn't worship anymore. And we talked about how Antiochus had this dream, this desire, this vision that he would unite all the peoples that he conquered by instituting uh, one religion, and that religion would be the worship of Zeus. So um, they built uh, uh, idol houses or idol uh, temples, they built altars, they um, instituted strange laws that would have been very different from what the Jews had practiced. They forbid uh, the burning of incense at the temple, they forbid uh, observing the Sabbath, uh, circumcision of your children, all these things they forbid. And what he was trying to do was convert the Israelites from Judaism into this worship of Zeus so they'd be united with all the other people. And um, the Jews, for a large part, agreed with it and began to worship Zeus. Many, many of them did. And, you know, we talked about that the book of Maccabees that we'll look at again this morning was written during the Hasmonean dynasty, which is started about 150 BC, something like that, and goes all the way until somewhere between 35 and 50 um, BC when the Romans came in and took over the area. But for about 100 years, the Hasmonean dynasty ruled Israel, and during that time is when the book of Maccabees was written written by a Jewish man, so you have to understand that he has a bias to write good things about the Jews, but even this writer condemned the Jews who went along with Antiochus and his soldiers and began to worship Zeus. Well, two years later, after Antiochus took them over in 171, um, he sent uh, troops in to collect um, more treasure, basically. And they came in pretending to be uh, favorable to the Jews and be friendly, and then as soon as they got all the money, they destroyed many of the Jews. And these are the people who actually set up what um, the writer of First um, Maccabees wrote as the abomination of desolation. And so we looked at what this was last time, that they would round up go house to house, really, and bring any of the people who were faithful to the law of Moses or who circumcised their children or who uh, worshiped on the Sabbath, any of those people that they found, they brought them all together. And on the 25th of each month, they would sacrifice them on an altar built to Zeus over the altar of God. So they left the, the altar that we looked at in, in Ezekiel, or one similar to it, there the whole time, and built an altar over that, and on that altar they would sacrifice alive these Jews. And, of course, that would desecrate uh, the altar of God and, you know, why it's called the abomination of desolation. So that's what the writer of... Um, First Maccabees called the abomination of desolation, probably borrowing that term from uh, Daniel chapter 9 that we'll get to in the future. So um, anyway, that was the abomination of desolation set up in, in 169 BC, two years 
two, maybe two and a half years after they were captured. So what I want to do this morning is go on through um, the first seven chapters of the Maccabees. We'll do it pretty quickly and see what happens after the abomination of desolation. We're two, two and a half years into um, the stopping of worship and the occupation of Jerusalem by uh, the Seleucids. And so the Jews are, have been ransacked. You go on and um, if you, once you get beyond that in the first chapter of Maccabees, you come to the second chapter of Maccabees and there you find a man named Matthias. And Matthias lives in a city um, to the north of Jerusalem called Modin. And he is a priest. He and it names the lineage that he comes out of. So he's the priest of Modin. And the troops of uh, Antiochus had not made it that far north until this event in Second Mac in First Maccabees chapter two. And what happens is they come and they build an altar and they call for the people of Modin to worship at that altar. And it says, according to the law of Antiochus. So that would have meant bringing a pig and sacrificing it on this altar because they were all about sacrificing swine as opposed to bulls or rams that the, the Jewish people would have been sacrificing, a, a, a pig being an unclean animal. And so um, he called for people of the city to do that. One man began to do that. And Matthias was so enraged at this guy being willing to obey this heathen that he killed that person on the altar that he was getting ready to sacrifice on. And then he went and killed the uh, leader of the troops of Antiochus who was commanding them to do this. And so this faithful Jew uh, then says, you know, we're not going to worship according to your laws. And so, of course, they have to flee. And they do. They flee into the mountains. Now, some short period thereafter, uh, um, Matthias is um, going to die. He and Matthias has five sons. And so he commissions his sons to be faithful to the Jewish historical practices. Um, and he calls on the example um, of when they left Egypt and came into the wilderness and you know some of the people who were faithful, some that weren't, calls for them to be the faithful people. So he's reaching back, if you think about this. Uh, the Exodus was in 1446 BC. So he's reaching back like 1,300 years to an example out of historical Jewish um, history. So, um, and he calls for them to be faithful and he appoints his son, Judas Maccabeus, to be the captain of the fighting. They're gonna have to fight. And so he appoints Judas Maccabeus, his son, not his oldest son, but one of his sons, to be the captain. He has another son named Simon that was wiser than the other guys. He said, he'll be the one who will give you wisdom, but Judas Maccabeus will lead the troops. And so he does that. And he's, you know, um, the next five chapters of um, 
1 Maccabees is all about Judas Maccabeus and him fighting and revolting against um, this, the troops of uh, Antiochus. Now, so that's, that's what happens in chapter 2 is this beginning of a revolt. But they have to flee to the mountains. Um, so they're living in caves and makeshift places in the mountains, those who are faithful to the law, uh, staying away from the troops of Antiochus. So you get to chapter 3 of the Maccabees, and you're now in the fourth year since they were first invaded in 171. So we're in 167 B.C. So this revolt has been going on for a, you know a year or so now, and in this um, in this chapter is where we begin to see Judas Maccabeus have some success against the troops of Antiochus, and so he wins several battles in here, and when Antiochus himself hears about this. He assembles huge troops to go against the Jews. What he wants to do, basically, is genocide. He wants to wipe out the Jews. Um, the problem, these are mercenaries, most of these people who are going to fight with him, and so he has to pay them a lot of money. Well, he had previously thrown big parties in all of the lands that he had conquered to worship Zeus. And basically, you know, these huge, large, elaborate parties that he threw. So he had spent most of the money of the treasury. So after he amassed this large amount of troops, he couldn't pay them. He could only pay some of them. So what he did, he divided the troops into two. And he would send half of them into um, Jerusalem and Judea to defeat the Jews. And he took the other half himself to go into Persia so that they might ransack the Persians and get more money. Because these guys, you have to pay them for them to fight for you because they're, they're mercenaries. And so um, that's what he did. And even yet, the forces that he sent into, Israel, into the land of Israel were huge. You have 60,000 troops and then 5,000 horsemen that are gonna go in and basically commit genocide and kill all of the Jewish people. That was their mission. That's what they were instructed to do. Their um, Antiochus put over them uh, a leader, one of his um, faithful ones, um, trying to find his name, it's Isaias, um, is who is gonna lead these troops and commit genocide in Israel, or in Judah, and wipe out the Jews, kill them all, because they're revolting, and they're beginning to win the, the battle. So the thing to do is send so many troops that they can't fight against them and just kill every one of them. So that was their plan, that's what they wanted to do, um, but Again, they're hiding in the mountains. We know all about trying to fight in the mountains, right? You can't find people. They, they know the mountains. You don't. And so they're hiding from them. And yet they outmaneuver them 
in the mountains and basically defeat this huge amount of troops that's coming against them um, by, because they know the land, they know how to get away from them. And so they outmaneuver the invading army and, and begin to defeat them. And then the second chapter um, in Maccabees 4:28, it says, and then the next year, okay, so they, they're fighting, it goes on for a good while. And so now we're in the fifth year since Antiochus first invaded. And the timing of all this is important, right? Because you'll remember back in Daniel chapter eight where it said this would last for 2,300 days. So 2,300 days is significant. We said it was like 6.3 something years. And so now we're in the fifth year since they first invaded in 171. So we're down in like 166 BC. And, and the fighting goes on. Um, this time, instead of calling on the example of Egypt and Moses leading the people out of Egypt, um, they refer to the leadership of Jonathan, the son of Saul, the king, with aiding David. And so, and you know, it was miraculous that David was able to get away, had to go hide in caves, ate the showbread, all that, all those stories about David and how God preserved him. Well, they call on that example and ask God to help them again. So they're, they're constantly referring to these events that God did in the past to help and save Israel, that he would do the same now. And so this is well into the battling. And so um, they overcame the entire army in this year, such that they can even go back to Jerusalem, take Jerusalem back, now, there's a lot of strangers in Jerusalem, a lot of people who either had settled there out of the Seleucid Empire um, or they're Jews who converted to the worship of Zeus, who are mainly there. They drive those people out of the city of Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the, the city and the temple and the altar. And so you can just imagine that this, you couldn't do this overnight this would take a good while, probably into the next year, which would be the sixth year of when, um, after Antiochus had invaded. And again, 2,300 days is six point, um, if you round it, four years. So we're into that time frame, and the book of Maccabees in the, the fourth chapter says that on the 25th day of the ninth month, which is called Casua, they offered sacrifices according to the law. So they're going, they're now have reinstituted the worship of God in the temple according to the law. So things are back like they were before the invasion. Now that doesn't stop the fighting um, because Jerusalem uh, is invaded again by the Seleucid uh, Empire into Jerusalem even, but they're driven out. <clears throat> so this fighting goes on um, well beyond when the sacrifices were reinstituted. 
but this is somewhere in the sixth year. And so this begins to align with what we saw with 2300 days. And uh, so many men have studied this and looked at the details of it. Uh, the one that I read who has studied a lot of this is John MacArthur. And John MacArthur says it's not approximately 2300 days, it's exactly 2300 days. And he even states the dates. He says on September 6, 171 BC is when Antiochus first invaded. And then on December 25th, Christmas Day, 164, 165, because the years don't exactly align. So it's when, um, you know, it's in either 164, 165, depending on how you look at it. In December 25th, which is exactly 2300 days after the beginning of the invasion. Now, I haven't looked into all of the uh, details of MacArthur's research. Um, I, I plan to do that. I just haven't gotten that far yet. <clears throat> I don't have his commentary on, um, on the book of Daniel, so I need to get that so I can, I can or at least look at what he has written about it. Um, but I just tend to believe that when God gives predictions in the scripture, they're not approximate. They're exactly according to what he predicted. Now we'll see that when we look at the 70 weeks of Daniel, that um, it says from the decree for the Jews to return uh, seven years and then 62 years, and then Messiah is cut off. We'll try and line that up, but I believe you don't have to believe with me. I believe it's to the very day from when the decree was given to when Christ was sacrificed on the cross. And I, I can show you that, and we will look at that in the scriptures and the multiple decrees that were given for Jerusalem, I mean, for the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. There were at least three of those. And so we'll look at that, and people argue about which one is really meant by Daniel, but to me it's pretty easy. You just start with Jesus Christ and back up 69 weeks of seven years each, and that's when the decree was given. Um, so, I mean, that's just the way I look at Scripture. I don't demand that you look at it that way, but I, I believe when God gives something like it's going to last for 2,300 days, that it's going to last for exactly 2,300 days. Um, and MacArthur says in his research, it was exact to the day. And so I, I tend to agree with that, not because he said so, but because scripture says so. And, and I mean, God is able to do what he said, right? And what he predicts. And so I believe he could do it to the very day. And so, <clears throat> By the time you get to the fourth chapter of Maccabees, um, they are back to worshiping as God intended for them. They're back observing the Mosaic law. The, they had to go through all these rituals to cleanse the altar and the temple because you can just imagine um, how many people and how much swine had been sacrificed for six something years on that altar that was above the altar of God. So all that had to be cleaned up. 
So that was not just a, a couple day job. Um, so um, we have what is recorded in history. I can't be as precise as MacArthur, but I trust him in this. But we see that it clearly was in the sixth year after he had, uh, after Antiochus had taken Jerusalem originally. The abomination of desolation doesn't happen until two, two and a half years later when they begin to sacrifice Jews on this altar. So you go on and in 1 Maccabees chapter five, there's more battles taking place. So this didn't just end. They had to continue to fight and Judas Maccabeus is still the leader of the troops who are defeating the troops of Antiochus. And so many battles are detailed in chapter five. Um, they actually, the troops who are faithful with, with Judas Maccabeus, actually kill many of the people in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area because they're these idol worshipers. They're, um, and, and they begin to tear down the altars to Zeus, um, begin to stop that type of worship not only in Jerusalem, but in the surrounding area. So they begin to expand um, the Holy Land again. And so um, eventually, um, it goes back in chapter six and refers to Antiochus and his uh, battles that he went into Persia to fight and details a few of them. And Antiochus, instead of taking treasuries, is defeated multiple times in the land of Persia where he's trying to go get um, treasures so he can pay these mercenaries to fight with him and ultimately plan to go back to Jerusalem himself and, and defeat them. Well, so he's driven out of Persia after all these defeats. Many of his men who went to fight with him have been killed, but Antiochus himself is still alive, but when he comes back out of Persia, he's informed that Lysias and all his troops have been defeated. And so um, here you have this man who was probably the most powerful man on the planet, who now has no money, has no army, and has been defeated multiple times and all his armies have been defeated. So he drags himself back to Babylon and the descriptions of him, not only in the Maccabees, but in other places, say that he was distraught. Maybe he went completely insane because of all these defeats and things didn't go the way he wanted to. He couldn't institute his worship of Zeus. He becomes very melancholy, very distraught gets sick and dies and not killed in any of the battles that he fought, not killed in an assassination attempt to take his throne because his son takes the throne after him. And, and so you remember the scripture said that this king ultimately is killed without human agency, meaning nobody kills him, he just dies and he dies heartbroken, distraught, and a pitiful sight back in Babylon. 
And so, but nobody kills him. He just, he just, you know, did God take, just take his breath from him or what, but no person killed him, which matches to what the scripture says, is he's killed without human agency. Nobody assassinated him, nobody killed him. And so again, you have another piece of the puzzle that the scriptures say that happened in the life of Antiochus Epiphanes. And so the battles continue. Um, mainly, <clears throat> the battles continue with the Jews defeating the remnants of the army of um, Antiochus. But during that, in um, Maccabees chapter 6, um, the same place where um, Antiochus dies, that um, Judas Maccabeus is killed in one of the wars, one of the fightings. So their great leader is killed. So his brother Jonathan takes, the, takes charge of the troops and uh, they continue to fight against um, the Seleucids. But ultimately, when he first takes the throne, they are peaceful for two years. But then they raid Jerusalem again, and Jonathan and the troops completely defeat them to such a degree that they make a peace treaty between the Jews and the Seleucids, and the Seleucids never again invade Jerusalem or any of Judea. And so that, at that time is when the Hasmonean dynasty is established. The Hasmonean dynasty coming out of the family of Matthias refers back to one of their ancestors who is named Hasmonius. And so they named the dynasty after him. And for the next hundred years, the Jews are pretty much self-reigning in, um, in all of Israel. And uh, in 53 BC, the Romans take Jerusalem, but they don't take all of uh, Israel. They just take the southern part. And so not until 37 BC do they take all of the land of Israel. And so at that time, the Hasmonean dynasty is gone. So it goes from like 150 BC down to, you could, you could say when they defeated Jerusalem it ended, or you could say when they defeated all of Israel it ended. So somewhere between um, 50 and 33 BC, 53 and 30 BC is when the Hasmonean dynasty is gone. And so, but enough time for the book of Maccabees, both of them, there's two, two volumes, and also many other of the books of the Apocrypha written during that time. Again, we don't refer to that as scripture, we refer to it as historical books, but uh, with a Jewish slant on it, because they're written by Jews. So, um, <clears throat> So we, we now have the time in, in 1 Maccabees chapter 7 is when the Jews come and begin to take Israel. So the, the Maccabees covers all of this time um, and is pretty accurate according to other historians who write. So it seems to be right. Uh, a man named Nicanor, uh, Nicanor um, 
who hated the Jews is the Roman leader who comes in and defeats them. Um, so, um, but as he tries to go north, many of his troops are defeated. And so it takes years for Rome to take full control of Israel. And the Jews continue to fight. Um, and God continues to help them um, to fight. Um, and so by the time you get to Maccabees chapter 8, it's all over. It's done. That the Jews are now under the control of the Romans. Uh, they're no longer self-ruling. But the worship in the temple, you remember, was still ongoing when Jesus walked the planet. So the, the Romans allow the Jews to still practice Judaism. They just have to pay homage to Caesar by giving them money. But, and they're occupied by the Romans. That's clear during the time of Jesus that there are Roman troops everywhere. They're able to crucify the Lord because they're in control. They're occupying Judea. So all of that is detailed in the book of 1 Maccabees. Um, so um, it pretty much comes to an end. Daniel comes to an end at that point because the way Daniel ends is with Antiochus, if it's the right person, dying. That's the, the last thing that happens in Daniel chapter 8. I mean, um, if you look at it in, um, in the end of verse 25 of Daniel 8, it talks about this horn. He will even oppose the prince of princes, but he will be broken without human agency. And then just so Daniel writes it for our benefit, the scripture goes on in verse 26 and it says, the vision and of the evenings and mornings which has been told is true, meaning the 2300 days is 2300 mornings and evenings. It will be, it's gonna be accurate. And so our looking back at history, it appears to be exactly accurate. And so um, I don't demand that you agree with me, but I believe that Daniel chapter eight is fulfilled with Antiochus Epiphanes and all that he did. Now I do agree with some who say that it foreshadows what will happen at the end of the age, detailed by the book of Revelation. I do believe it foreshadows that. It shows how it's possible that that could happen. You have this desire to unite the world under one religion, which is clear in the book of Revelation. There are other things that match up to what Antiochus does, the, the killing of many of the Jews is one of them. Um, the stopping of temple worship is another. And we, you know, we've said that this only happened a couple of times in Jewish history. It happened when Babylon defeated Jerusalem. It happened here where the Seleucids raided Jerusalem. And it happens in 70 AD when the Romans destroy the temple. Those are the three events when the uh, sacrifices were stopped by force. 
They were stopped at other times because the Jews were unfaithful. But by force, it only happened three times. And so that's what we'll see when we get to chapter 9, that it talks about that stop of temple worship. We saw it in chapter 7, where it said that, he, um, that the king wanted to change the times and the ages. That would be stopping temple worship. That would be changing the Jewish calendar. So um, we'll stop here today. I mean, that's pretty much the way that I conclude that this, for Daniel to write this, it did pertain to many days in the future, about 375 years, that it was fulfilled with Antiochus IV Epiphanes in detail, but that it still yet foreshadows what is going to happen in the book of Revelation. So what I want to do next time is kind of do an overview, a review of chapter 7 and chapters 8 and see how they mesh together. Before we go to chapter 9, which people get, well, even in 7 and 8, people get twisted around the axles just trying to figure out how these things fit together. So I kind of want to do an overview and put those things together. And then we'll go into chapter 9, which adds to what we see here in chapter 7 and 8, um, which does not have a near-term fulfillment other than the Messiah being cut off, which it predicts. So um, chapters 7, 8, and 9 are um, all linked together, but they're not the same events. So if you read, I mean, there are a lot of books written on this, a lot of good books, a lot of bad books. So if you read one that says they're all the same event, hopefully you have enough details now that you can see they're not the same events. They're at different times, they're done by different people. And so that's important as we go into chapter nine to have that recognition that seven and eight are not exactly the same. So that's where we'll end this morning. Um, we're done with the Maccabees. We won't be extra biblical next week. We'll begin with chapter nine, verse one. And um, there's this amazing prayer that Daniel offers to the Lord in the first, really, two-thirds of, of chapter 9. And so we'll walk through that prayer in detail. It, it is astounding, the things that Daniel was praying, um, that God heard him and answers in chapter 9. So thanks for your time this morning.